always just a movie, Go you know? It's always just a movie that's in our head, because yeah, otherwise we're talking about TV and we just gotta get that that side of ourselves <laughs> out, you know? The other the other side yeah. of our personalities, movies, as opposed yeah, to TV. Yeah, of course. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about the movie Dune the other day, which uh-huh. you've now seen as well, and you're reading yes. the book for the first I time, am. correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Ooh, how, how far are you into it now, dude? Uh, I'm maybe about a third of the way through it. Okay, yeah. yeah. Ah, it's so good. Incredible. It is pretty good, I mean, yeah. just some of the best world building, in my opinion. Agreed. But yeah, so the one part of it that bumped for me, and I, I was not trying to go in with a preconceived notion mm-hmm. about this actor. I was trying to really keep an open mind, because I've seen him be good in some stuff, and I've heard that he's been great in other things. But Timothy Chalamet, in oh, that movie... I knew it didn't work i knew it i knew you were gonna say that. and i was trying to like figure out why and i came to this realization which uh, please tell me this epiphany (laughs) you gotta be so sarcastic about it bro come on come on (laughs) well that's the thing i'm i'm trying to be sincere i'm trying to put my heart on my sleeve i'm talking about things that i love and this is what chalamet in my opinion did not do he did not bring a sincerity to his role which i think when you're doing this now kind of outdated sort of point of view savior Mm -hmm. chosen one character at the center of your narrative i think it's actually so important that you approach the world and you approach your performance with this like openness and this sincerity what it made me think of right away was Frodo, Elijah Wood in Lord of the Rings. I mean, a lot of people shaded his performance, Mm. especially in Fellowship, when that movie came out. And I feel like in retrospect, Mm -hmm. whatever you might say about, like, the technical qualities of his acting, especially in that first one, I think he's straight up excellent in Two Towers. But uh, in Fellowship, I could see, like, someone quibbling with the work itself, with the performance. But here's the thing. He... Mm -hmm brought so much sincerity i think that's part of what 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 about the performance like chafed for people a little bit because he was such a disgustingly earnest little cherub with these gigantic eyes that people thought were cgi because they were so brightly blue and color grading was also just sort of a thing for the first time so people were reacting to that but i mean still he he just he had such an openness and it actually really worked, in my opinion, to sell the world around him. It gave you that sense of awe just because you were mm-hmm. seeing it through the eyes of a character who actually cared. And cut to Dune, Dune has such unbelievable production design. If you haven't seen it, I strongly encourage you not to watch it on HBO. Go see it in a the theater. That's the only way that this movie really should be experienced. But the thing about it is you have this guy at the center of it who looks like he can't wait to, like, stop dealing with all these desert power shenanigans and check his phone. At the end, his connection with Zendaya isn't, oh, my God, this unbelievably beautiful girl Mm. who I just want to make out with immediately. It's like, oh, cool, someone my age, Mm. so we can, like, let's go drool in the corner while these people have a knife fight. Just just give it up. So I think (laughs) there's two things. I think you're being too hard on him. One, I think he's too He's a dynamic actor who I think he's got the range. I think he does, I would say I think it's just the way that, that the script is written or perhaps even the way that the movie is edited. I don't think they gave him much room 
to express that wonder, that sort of uh, naivete that I think the character carries with him. I think he's totally yeah. capable of, of producing that. But I, I, yeah, I don't think that they were going for that in the character. They didn't really mind that or try to pull that out of the character. Also, I just think you wanted to talk about the Lord of the Rings. Well, that's the thing. I got to keep bringing it back to Lord of the Rings because this is this is a Lord of the Rings podcast now. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> it's a Lord of the Rings podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just making that easy transition. Of course you are. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say I agree with you. I think he's a dynamic actor. I think he's fantastic in both of uh, Greta Gerwig's movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is so like light on his feet mm-hmm. and funny and charming in those. And I look at Dune, and honestly, I think he's just so, like, posy in that it's, movie. It's he's not so, him, like, man. Oh, what's my angle, you know? I don't think it's him. I think every— you think it was the Oh, shooting? of course, yeah. yes, without yeah. a doubt. Like, every—I told you, like, I think I texted you. Everyone in that movie seems pretty dour, with the exception of Momoa, who's great. Yeah. But, and Brolin. And Brolin is good. Yeah, he's decent. Yeah. But I, he, he just fits his yes. role like a glove. It's like, oh, you want me to be angry? Right, and, and he can do it. <laughs> like, let me flip this craft services table real quick, and then I'll give you some But anger. the problem is <laughs> that the rest, the, the Atreides family just does not seem like a family in the movie. No, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. And well, so that was my problem. Uh... All right, let's just stop talking about this. The only sexual tension in that movie is when she's watching her son get undressed in front of her. Weird move. Weird move, Villeneuve. <sighs> Weird move, Villeneuve. Right. Is that a thing now? I mean, he's got he's got some weird moves. He does. All right, whatever. Okay, we're done with this. <laughs> we're done with this. I guess we should start. This we might want to do that before I talk about incest anymore. This podcast is over with. Just beginning. Just getting started. That's the sad reality. That's the hell that Phil lives in. <laughs> Tortured every day. Uh huh. All right, let's get into this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. Listeners, we are so happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is the Prince of Darkness himself, Mr. Alex Sinesi. That's mm-hmm. right. I'm coming to stab you with half of a rusty bicycle, like Whatever. Alice Cooper. Um, oh, so I have a quick question for you. Can you remind me, how long did you work for the circus? <laughs> All right, so we are getting into episodes seven and eight of Lost. We're going to be talking about The Moth and Confidence Man. Great episodes of television. I particularly was more fond of Confidence Man. What about you? Oh, absolutely. He he just disarms me, folks. Yeah. You know, I think, I think I know that Phil is just like keeping things level. And then he just comes in with a barb, with mm-hmm. a dagger, and it, it just gets me every time. I aim for that. Yeah. Dude, okay. But yeah, like you were saying, it's so funny. I am so glad we are covering this show this way. It's worked out so strangely mm-hmm. well because I feel like every batch of episodes we have had so far is kind of one really working and the other not exactly working and just like how subtle shifts in the formula or just like the conception of a particular character either hamstrings an episode or lets it totally succeed yep exactly the same thing exactly yeah yeah i'm very curious to when we either get two bad episodes in a row or when we get two really strong ones i think we're 
we're coming toward like a really I strong think so. run. I feel like in the middle of the season. I remember like things really, really picking up once uh, a certain cousin of Tom Cruise comes into the picture. Oh my God, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that, man. So uh, this is interesting. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. At this point, I think, because we're doing these in batches, but I think by this time, Lost has established a familiar formula, and the formula is Mm -hmm. plot A um, is going to be a crisis, island crisis. Story B, plot line B, is going to be a flashback, and maybe there's going to be alliances drawn or torn asunder or formed as like maybe uh, like plot C. That's kind of like a meta yeah. plot or something. And yeah, like, do you yeah. get that sense? Like that's what's happening in each of these episodes? Like, Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and to just compare and contrast a little more, I mean, we'll get into the episodes individually in a minute, but like there are two island crises in these mm-hmm. two episodes that form sort of the A storyline mm-hmm. in the present. And both of them are pretty silly. And I think it speaks very much to the character exploration yeah. the drama to the sort of sturdiness of what's around them that one of those silly plots actually works and the other just seems totally ridiculous yeah so yeah let's start with the ridiculous <laughs> plot in the moth charlie's all right episode. so we should just go ahead and just talk about what happens in these two shouldn't we yeah yeah so the moth focuses on charlie pace and uh, basically his struggle with heroin and getting clean on the island while Jack <laughs> falls a prey to a cave-in in the caves, a, a cave collapse, um, and is pinned. He falls prey to a cave. <laughs> <laughs> like that cave just swallowed him up. On, on it, it knew what it was doing. It knew what it was doing. <laughs> the predator became the prey. <laughs> I can't compose anyway. myself after that. <laughs> I knew Phil would love that. <laughs> Terrible. Phil really likes, like, tagline jokes. Anytime I can deliver a joke as a stupid tagline, I know that'll get him. <laughs> Without fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Okay. All right. Let's get, let's get back to this. Uh-huh. I digress. Uh, Charlie um, is trying to get clean under Locke's mentorship. Meanwhile, Jack has been pinned under a cave collapse, and the Losties, under the supervision of Michael, try to get him free. Um, in the flashback itself, Charlie... We get to see his relationship with his brother, Liam. And basically, I think this is an, an Oasis shout out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. okay. You've got Liam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything about this just feels like two brothers who don't quite get along. Liam, the handsome sociopathic piece of shit who wants all of the yeah. glory and uh, immediately like just yep. self-destructs. I, I got to be honest. I've listened to some Oasis. I know what happened right. with them to an extent. But I don't understand the dynamic because the dynamic seems like these two guys hated each other, but they started Mm -hmm. a band together anyway because it was a creatively successful Mm -hmm. relationship. Only they were already brothers. (laughs) It's like they should have seen this coming their entire lives. This is a bad idea. Oh, no. We can't be in the same room with each other. Too bad we have a career now. (laughs) Yeah, they needed to have like a a therapist, a family therapist uh, on the tour bus with them. Anyway, so yeah, we see during the flashback that Charlie is sort of beholden to his older brother, Liam, who's played by Neil Hopkins. And uh, the band falls apart. Uh, Liam gets clean. And meanwhile, Charlie is actually kind of... he falls into heroin addiction. It's 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 sad. It sucks. But he's trying to get the band back yeah. together, and it fails completely when Liam realizes that he doesn't want to um, return to Driveshaft. Is this 
this is not really the island crisis, but the C-plot is basically Saeed and Sawyer and Kate going around the island trying to set up, what is it, the... They're trying to triangulate right. Russo's message so they can see. Right, exactly. Thank you. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. The, the, that's what happens in uh, The Moth. Um, and Charlie sort of redeems himself at the end of the episode by yeah. um, going in and rescuing Jack and helping him uh, get out of the cave. Yeah, yeah. and there's a another little aspect to that subplot, which is uh, while he's detoxing, uh, Locke is doing this kind of creepy new age drug therapy method on him where he's like i'm gonna play your you know Mm -hmm. disappointed father and you're gonna have to ask me for the drugs three times and the third time i'll give them to you it's very uh you know peter denying christ before the rooster crows or whatever kind of a thing it's very like portentous and uh as kind of silly as it is and as much as i'm kind of creeped out by Locke's whole oh the moth has to suffer to get out of the cocoon so your suffering has a purpose charlie it's making you stronger and it's like uh, i i don't think suffering especially in this way makes people stronger necessarily i think it oftentimes is just a constant struggle that can ruin your mm-hmm. life essentially uh that you can mm-hmm. not not escape from or that you escape from with a just a more right. therapeutic approach i guess but yeah so i i find Locke's whole modus operandi creepy but i think terry oh, absolutely Quinn sells the shit out of it i think he is doing such good work in this episode with such a weird yeah. set of character beats and I feel the same way about Dominic Monaghan. I mean, I think his performance is really, really excellent. I don't think it sells the whole backstory kind of in its cliche way. Really? In how sort of pointless it feels, how tossed off it is. But I think he's still doing really good work. I think he is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I, got to be honest. uh, Like, I I liked this episode the first time I saw Mm -hmm. Lost back in 2004. It's fallen for me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I still, I'm like, the actors are doing are doing great. Fantastic work. It's more, to me, the problem is Charlie's heroin addiction feels like such a pilot decision where they were like, well, we have to have a bunch of people on the island who won't be able to get something that they need. Right. So we'll do the extreme version of that. This guy is a heroin addict. He's going to go through the roughest possible withdrawal and not be able to get his shit. It, it felt like something where they were like, all right, we'll just come up with complications. You know, this other girl, she's nine months pregnant. Right. This guy, he's addicted to black tar heroin, you know? And now they actually have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I feel like the show, especially as a network show, wasn't really equipped to explore that in a fully satisfying way so we get a rough sketch of it yeah yeah i i I think i see what you're saying i think i prefer the the current like if you're taking like storylines i prefer the current timeline as opposed to the flashback it's just so paint by numbers well it is but i think the acting that monaghan does is stronger in the current timeline than in the flashback Though there are some moments where I do think that Monaghan does shine, and I think that's particularly when he's doing the scene with Hopkins and he's talking about how he feels left behind in a way. And I do think that that works. 
yeah, he sells the betrayal of it really well. He does. You know, it's yeah. a, <laughs> again, the dude now has his... He's like, got his whole uh, life together. Yeah, he's got his lens crafter, you know, mm-hmm. glasses and his nice, like, high-collar sweater. And it's like, oh, this guy is suburban and he's cleaned his act up, but we still don't want to like him, yeah. you know? So they make him look pretty douchey. Do you want to just talk, into, talk about Monaghan as well? Yeah, yeah, sure. Do you see him as being the most popular face on the show at the time? Yeah, I mean, like we talked about a little bit, they sold this show on him. He was the face at the end of every commercial because he had just been in three of the massive movies. And right. we had our whole back and forth about it, too, of how, like, he kind of disappears in those movies. And The Hobbits in general never quite broke out of that particular Is this your attempt to just talk about idea. The Lord of the Rings again? <laughs> You know I'm gonna bring it oh, back. God. You know, okay. this is right. now no, a no, 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 no. It's still a lost podcast. It's, it's still, still a lost. Lost. <laughs> I faked you out there. You know, so let's see. I mean, he started off um, with like a BBC One crime drama, which was called Hetty Wainthrop. Um, and I actually remember seeing that back in the. It's the weirdest name. It's the weirdest it's name such for a, a show. BBC. It is Hetty Wainthrop investigates. Hedy Wainthrop. That's on after Goodfellas. <laughs> it sounds like these are gonna be the most polite murder investigations of all time you know so yeah he was in that for like 27 episodes i actually remember seeing him just in passing as i was like flipping through channels i was like oh this is a weird show oh and then there's the guy from uh, lord of the rings interesting he did like a tv film hostile waters in 97 and then obviously his big break is when he is cast as uh mary brandy buck and peter jackson's lord of the rings trilogy yeah and he's practically unknown yeah he is he is yeah so he films for like what 18 months and that's just the initial shoot because they went back and did reshoots on two towers and return of the king until like 2004 yeah yeah, like yeah long after those were coming long time yeah Mm -hmm. yeah. so i think he does that work he is in a World War II resistance drama for Masterpiece Theater called Monsignor Renard. I've never seen <laughs> These that British before. British titles, man, they kill me. They're so great. I it's love like, them. Don't worry about selling the show on the title at all. <laughs> like, it's nope. fine. Just wait until you turn it on. Right. That's where the real stuff is. Uh, so he was also in this other movie called Spivs. Have you seen Spivs? Spivs no, is no. a black market smugglers movie. Oh, cool. Yeah, he was in this too. It's about black market uh, smugglers getting it uh, involved in... I think unawares to them yeah. getting involved in human trafficking, which I find that hard to um, fathom, but right. okay. We just have this shipping container. Don't worry about what's inside kind of a thing. Uh, yeah. You know, it's a season two of uh, the wire type thing. Yeah, yeah. And then I think he is cast in something called like the purifiers. I have no idea what that is. I tried to find some of these and could not locate yeah. them on the internet. Like, have you uh, seen another movie that he's been in? No, yeah. I've not. And yeah. that might just be my fault because, mm. Well, he was in he was in your favorite movie, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. You love that oh, movie. Shit, he was, wasn't he? Hey, yeah, right. and that felt you like know. such a JJ tip of the hat. It was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it feels like he's back with the island crew when they're on that yeah, jungle of planet. Yeah, you know? exactly. They've got like one radio that they've like yeah. made out of sticks. <laughs> exactly. So I think Lost is his big thing. Outside of Lord of the Rings, it's Lost. I mean, he was on this show for several years. He had friendships with the cast. I think he was in a relationship with Evangeline Lilly. Was he? Uh, Yeah, I think he was for a couple of years. And then I think he even like had a, he had a falling out with Matthew Fox. So Interesting. Yeah, there was some some contention there. I don't know if it was during shooting or maybe afterwards. I think Matthew Fox is just a very intense, 
hard to get along with guy in general. I, he's problematic. Yeah, he's didn't pro- didn't he like have charges of battery there, against yeah, his wife? Yeah, there's there's some yeah. problematic stuff there. Yeah. And so then I think he this is the most confounding thing for me, which is that from Lost Monaghan jumps into Flash Forward, which is essentially a Lost ripoff. It's just Lost. I again. remember people were watching Flash Forward specifically like well maybe we'll get some clues as to what's happening on lost from this it's like it's not even produced by the same people right Right. how are they gonna put easter eggs in other shows it's like well maybe this sprite tie-in commercial has the clues to what's inside of the swan station you know we we went deep we all went way too deep Remember when people thought Cloverfield was somehow oh like tied to the Yeah, that's I right. Mean, is the J.J. Abrams connection again? That oh, was yeah. just a whole entire just collective <laughs> hallucination. Anyway, all right, yeah. So that's Dominic Monaghan. Good actor. Like yeah. seeing him and stuff. Really good. Yeah, he's in a little movie called uh, The Day. That's like a post-apocalypse, super low-budget thing. I forget what it is. I think it's like nuclear fallout or something. And it's just a zombie movie without zombies, basically. It's just people stuck in a house trying not to kill each other. And uh, he's excellent in it. It's not a good movie at all. He's really, really good in it, though. And he dies in like the first 40 minutes after being set up as the lead. And they do a fake out. What are you doing? You just threw that away. Uh, I like seeing... When he turns up, I'm always like, oh, Mary... Mary oh, Doug Brandybuck. Always happy to see him. I mean, the amount of Lord of the Rings goodwill, especially for a couple it's of infinite. nerds like us, is just, it's hard to quantify. It's really. infinite. Okay. Any other thoughts on this specific episode? Yeah. I, you know, to me, it does lack a certain authenticity, okay. in my opinion. It's just something about the one like act break where we go out on Charlie saying, give me my bloody drugs. And it just, it just yeah. doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel like the people who wrote this had actually ever grappled with mm-hmm. these kinds of issues. I mean, the whole thing of him taking heroin for the first time because he's so heartbroken about his brother seems weird, too. It's not buying like that. The typical path in would be you're having such a good time and everyone's like, oh, come on, just this once. Let's get like really fucked up. And uh, that's how you'd fall into it. Not like I, I tears streaking down my face. I'm finally going to tie that belt on and shoot up. <laughs> no, that's not. You're not buying this. Just, okay. I don't know. It didn't ring true for me. So this episode was written by Jennifer Johnson and Paul Dini. Love me some Paul Dini. Oh, dude. Yeah, we'll get into him. But uh, they were both season one staff writers only. They left at the end of the season, and they did not have a lot of writing credits on the season either. This is Paul Dini's only actual writing credit really? okay. on the show. He was a story editor, and he was part of that initial brain trust that Lindelof assembled, but he um, otherwise didn't, yeah, doesn't have many solo writing credits. And this is one of his only writing credits in live action ever. Mm, okay. Obviously, very famous for uh, the DC animated universe. I actually was looking into it. He got his start on He-Man Masters the Universe. Sweet. (laughs) And he actually came onto that and wrote several of the fan favorite episodes of all time. He did this one, uh, Tila's Quest, that's about uh, He-Man's tough warrior sidekick 
who she, she gets her own side quest and a backstory for uh, once okay. in his episode and everybody loved it so he did a little of that then he did transformers he did gi joe he was just doing all of the toy tie-in yeah. cartoons during yeah. the 80s you know all of these cartoons that were thinly veiled advertisements for action figures and then uh he actually gets brought over to wb animation to do tiny tune adventures which was the Steven Spielberg produced Looney yeah. Tunes kind of spin-off reboot I remember kind that. of thing with younger mm-hmm. versions of them, which uh, it, was a, it was a good show. It yeah. was pretty funny. I, I liked it as a kid for sure. Following that, uh, Bruce Tim created Batman the Animated Series and Oof, brought him on, and so he became good. one of the main writers on that. Did a bunch of the canonical episodes. He invented the character of Harley Quinn, who is what? now you know the most overwhelmingly popular character that was in all him? of pop culture. Wow, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, she was invented for the animated series, and she jumped to the comics ten years later. Wow. Anyway, keep yeah. going, keep going. That's amazing. Crazy, right? So he did that. He stuck with the DC animated universe. He did the Superman show. He worked on Justice League. But 2004 was the one time that he kind of split away from WB and he did a season of Lost. And then he came right back into the fold and pretty much has just worked on DC stuff ever since. He actually just went over to Marvel this past year for the first time. Okay. I wonder what he's working on. Yeah, I mean, uh, just a legendary dude. I For mean, sure. The dude has a co-writing credit on Mask of the Phantasm. You That's know? cool. But, uh, you know, I think him being on this show is totally an example of Lindelof, the consummate dork, the preeminent alpha nerd in this particular case being like, I'm going to get... Every person from every obscure genre thing that I love, and I'm just going to collect them all to be, you know, nerds with me. He does it again when he brings on Brian K. Vaughn uh, in season three, another legendary comic book writer. Love his work. Oh, love his stuff. At the same time, Vaughn, finish Saga. Oh, my God. Seriously, bitch. Finish (laughs) that fucking comic. I'm waiting. I love it. I love it so much. I love it so much, but seriously. If he George R.R. Martins us, I will be so upset. Oh, I know, right? I think that there are some good picturesque shots of the island. There's just some good camera work, I think, in The Moth, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah, this one was shot by uh, Michael Bonvillain. Okay. He shot about half the episode along with Larry Fawn. I I thought it looked great. It just like I think it's the first time I remember seeing like shots of the island that are very um, just picturesque. Yeah, very notable. I, I like a lot of the close-ups too. He does a lot of like shallow focus. Mm-hmm. He opens the episode with a nice finger strumming on guitar strings up to close-up on Charlie's eyes. Yeah, that I really like. The other uh, writer on the episode, also season one only, was Jennifer Johnson. Yeah, that's right. She just has writing credits on this and whatever the case may be. She basically wrote for a lot of network shows procedural type stuff Mm -hmm. uh she wrote for cold case oh yes she wrote for a pair of uh kiefer sutherland dramas designated survivor and touch oh i don't remember touch i do remember designated survivor though touch sounds touch had the most creepy marketing campaign ever because it was literally just a child's hand reaching out to touch kiefer sutherland hard pass for me bro (laughs) The hardest of passes. And he looks he looks so, like, weirdly empathetic. I think he's supposed to be some sort of a, like, skin-sensitive psychic no. or something. And, God, it's just... That's wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. Like, 
the heebie-jeebies, yeah. man, all over Ugh. that. <laughs> One funny thing, though, she did co-create a J.J. Abrams-produced show called Alcatraz. I don't know if you remember this. It's about, like, I do remember the name. Yeah, it's about, like, the ghosts of Alcatraz prisoners coming back and escaping or something, and they have to, like, collect them back in the prison. It's some kind of Whoa. weird mythology meets crime procedural show. The thing about it, though... It only aired one season in 2012, so, you know, post the end of Mm -hmm. Lost. It co-starred Jorge Garcia, and the tagline for this fucking show on the Fox Network was, everyone gets off the island. It happens in the first episode. We promise. (sighs) I mean, talk about some fucking shade man that's hard shade. it's almost like they had to be defensive about the fact that it was a jj abrams produced show everyone was still so pissed They're so off sour yeah about the end of Lost. that's a good point which uh, not to be spoilery but if you're not aware listeners the end of the show was not super well received although some people did love it mm-hmm. but uh i mean it's just it's a crucial part of the narrative and it's it's fascinating to see the fucking print advertisement, the poster for another show shitting on this iconic piece of television. Yeah, that's it's, a good point. Pretty wild. Didn't think about that. So do you want to talk about uh, the second episode, Confidence Man? Yeah. I'm trying yeah, to get into sure. that. Oh, oh, I will just mention real quick. What's that? Jennifer Johnson, her most recent writing credits. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is on an episode of the live action adaptation of Cowboy Bebop. Um, so Confidence Man. <laughs> Decent. It's it. I think you're right. Like both of the crises in both of these episodes are somewhat silly. I think the yeah. one in Confidence Man is sillier. I think it's sillier. I I agree. I think the Jack crisis is is much more. It's it's important. You know, someone's life is at stake. It's more just that it's a cave-in and. We were just told that these caves were the safest thing we're in the sound. world. Yeah, and exactly. then suddenly the very man who brought them here is buried yep. in a cave in and there's no static about it at all. And after nope, this, the caves go back to being totally safe and fine. <laughs> totally safe. Nobody is like, this Jack guy leads us here and is immediately <laughs> hoist upon his own petard <laughs> during a cave in. <laughs> And it just goes uncommented, you know? There's no Ooh. asshole over here throwing shade like, oh, yeah. But he loves being in the caves yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. Uh. <laughs> he really loves it. <laughs> he loved it so much, he fucking dove into that cave head first, you know? And I don't know. I mean, the whole way that they get out, it just, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense from, like, a physics perspective. Whatever. I will say, the uh, show has a monster come on come on now all right come on <laughs> i have to cut that, <laughs> i have to cut every mention of that <laughs> i will just say um harold perrineau sells the shit he does his lines about having like eight years in construction i believed which him should be it should be an eye roll moment and instead you're just like oh, yeah, yeah exactly oh, this, this guy, guy knows, knows exactly what what, yeah underutilized yeah. actor there great he's, small moment and i think he just completely sells that i'm i'm on board did you feel like kate was weirdly written in this episode i think she's weirdly written overall <laughs> we don't have to get into that we don't have to get no, into that no, right now I, I really like the way that she's written in confidence man and to me that lines oh, up with her character progression so far God. i think in the moth she's doing this really weird mean girl thing with sawyer where she's like constantly putting him down in like petty ways that 
seem odd and then her like love for jack is so intense it's like oh my god i'll die digging him out of this cave and all this all right. and she has this part where all she's right. like you're actually comparing yourself to jack I mean, to sawyer and she scoffs when she says it come on what are we uh, all in high no, school no, here? all right this is okay let's just get on with the episode here because there's a reason why there's a reason why okay. oh we forgot to mention that at the end of the moth uh saeed is knocked unconscious by an unknown assailant Forgot about that. Very important. By a very long branch. Yes. Very, <laughs> a very long <laughs> a very stick. angry tree. Uh, so in confidence, <laughs> yeah, man. Disgruntled end. <laughs> you just got to bring it back to the Lord of the Rings, you jerk. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It, it, you really got tree bearded yeah, whatever. there, you know? Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got lost in Fangorn Forest, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Too bad uh, Shadow Facts couldn't come to his rescue in that moment, eh? All right, all right, I'm done. Are you done? done. You got them all out? Yeah. Okay, all right, good. (laughs) 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 Yeah, we got to cut. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. All those menus in Middle Earth. Gotta cut all this out. <laughs> those maitre d's among the Urukai, they're just the best. A goblin maitre d, man, they know what's up. Would you like meat or more meat? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we're gonna have to cut all of that out. Um, all right. So in Confidence Man, we learn more about uh, James yeah. Sawyer Ford. Um, his intense self-loathing at the manipulative thief that he's become. Um, in the flashback, we basically watch Sawyer steal a family's life savings. He seduces a woman, basically cons her, hus- her and her husband out of their money, only to not go through on the con at the last minute because he notices that they have a child. In the current timeline, after beating up Boone, <laughs> Sawyer earns some pretty professional uh, torture administered by Saeed and Jack, after he uh, supposedly holds out on giving them Shannon's asthma medicine. Shannon, meanwhile, is basically uh, slowly dying, cannot breathe. She's having an asthma attack, a very extended asthma attack. Son, she hops in. She saves Shannon's life through her knowledge of medicinal herbs, specifically yeah, eucalyptus. Uh, and Saeed, shade on that after, right away. Yeah, throwing the some Korean shade on that. Right. Yeah, I know, whatever. whatever. Uh, come on. Okay, yes. The episode basically ends with Saeed, um, who's been disgusted with his involvement in torturing Sawyer. Um, he leaves the island. Um, and I'm even just completely leaving out the fact that Kate and Sawyer, they have a moment, right? Like, they have this kind of, like, sexual tension going. I don't buy it. I think it makes Kate look pretty gullible and kind of dumb. And so that's that was the, the answer to your question about, is Kate weirdly written? Uh, okay. I just think this sequence, I just don't you buy don't that buy at that all. That like, she, it, no, like, she's too smart. She's too smart. To, in my opinion, this is a woman who knows what she's doing. She should be able to see through all of this BS, especially this guy who just isn't, he's just, he's, he's too much. See, I, I really buy their physical chemistry and their physical sure. attraction. I mean, that kiss, bro. That was a hot fucking All right. Yeah, it's kind of hot. It's, it's kind of hot. It's pretty fucking hot. I just got to say. The thing about it, though, beyond that is I think what they're trying to do with her is create sort of a dynamic where she's in a position of authority and 
her playing any sort of like psychosexual game with Sawyer is more coming from a place of she has control over this situation actually and mm-hmm. she's the one who is controlling him and she's breaking him down in her own way and i feel like if you didn't have jack as this other leader figure in the caves sort of muddying things if she was just the leader of the the survivors right then that dynamic would feel a little more intense because i feel like I her leadership role on the beach feels a bit nebulous at this point right it kind of feels like sawyer's running the show sometimes it kind of feels like sometimes Saeed it feels is. like Saeed. and exactly. so it, you don't get such a strong sense of it and jack also off centers that but at least he's like king of his own domain but i i don't uh, yeah. feel her authority as much as i want to which i think would make that whole dynamic a little more a little more interesting but interesting the opening scene where he uh, walks out of the water and into a D'Angelo video is kind of creepy, honestly. It's creepy. I mean, it's it, creepy he, in 2021. Yeah. It was creepy then and it's it creepy, creepy now. creepy then and he pushes the flirtation too far on purpose. Of and course. You realize it's all part of this incredibly self-loathing sort of performative masochism that's totally mm-hmm. tied up in his backstory and I think is really satisfying in the way that it's revealed. Yeah. The main thing I would say is I think this episode actually works super well. In spite of the silly subplot with, you know, Shannon suddenly being asthmatic and mm-hmm. having to be cured by herbs and Sawyer is withholding the fact that he doesn't have doesn't her medication have yeah. to the point of like, torture. What? Which seems crazy, but what sells it is that you want to know more about him. Sure. You want to know more about why he's doing this, and you also want to know more about his life and his flashbacks. Unlike Charlie, where all of his flashbacks are just shading in stuff that we already know. Mm, I see. And they're they're not revealing anything new. They're more tying up loose ends of... Oh, yeah, let's just show how he became how he became an addict. Right. And it's exactly what you would expect. And then in the present, he gets over it. And already in this episode, he seems totally detoxed, totally fine. Yeah. You know, Monaghan, he has a nice twitchy energy, I guess, but he doesn't seem like he's on the mend at all. He seems totally recovered in this episode, which is crazy. It's especially crazy because they make it clear that this is a few days later at most when Jack punches Sawyer, he actually has a nice moment where he recognizes that his, his shoulder was dislocated in the last episode. So if that's still going on, Charlie Charlie? should definitely. Yeah. That's a good point. I really love Charlie's moment with Claire though. I think that peanut butter scene is so sweet. It's corny, but it's It's, so sweet. And he sells the shit out of it. I mean, fine. His acting is incredible in that scene. It's good. They're both great. Emily the Raven. Yeah. Yeah, she's great, but just like, uh, no, I I just... It's too too much for me. Yeah, it's too much sugar on this desert island Um, right now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not... I'm a romantic It's okay. No, 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 no. no, When I'm I'm not not being a totally filthy thirst goblin, I am a romantic at heart. I must say. Um, but yeah, no, I love that scene. And it's just funny, though, because what it what what stuck out to me immediately about it, though, is Claire wasn't present at all in the moth. She's not right. in that episode right. at all. Mm-hmm. And it feels like such a missed opportunity of they have this connection. Then he goes through this horrible time where he's really brought low. And at no point is the main character he's been interacting with, the character who he has had the most interaction with, 
there to like see him through it or to like see him in a new light or any of that. It's almost like, oh, we can't have her see him in this compromised state. But that seems like a totally weak choice. Yeah, but I just think, yeah, but I think this goes back to the fact that they didn't quite recognize how the show was going to play out and yeah. what they were doing and like the strength of the actors that they had. And this is goes even goes back to the um, recording that we did about Yoonjin Kim and how great of an yeah. actress she is. And like, it just didn't really seem like they knew what to do with her at the outset, even though she's incredibly talented. Yeah, I think it's the same with Holloway. Yeah, too. I mean, he's dude, been we might as well just get one dimensional yeah. up until now. Yeah, and he's fucking killing it in this episode. Okay, so let's dude. just talk about Josh Holloway. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I was so excited to talk for this specific recording today was just because here you have Dominic Monaghan and Josh Holloway, one guy just riding a wave of fame and and charisma, bringing this into the show, and another guy who has exponentially even more charisma. And should have, I think, just had like a massive movie career and it just it did not happen. And to me, I find that fascinating. I still can't believe that it didn't happen. Yeah, he was my number one pick Mm -hmm. to be a movie star. Absolutely. He was the guy who probably out of all the cast members on that show should have become a movie star. It's crazy. So he was a print and runway model for a number of different agencies, number of different fashion uh, companies. So like Calvin Klein. Dolce and Gabbana. He was in like an Aerosmith music video. And then he decided to switch over to, yeah, I know. On brand. On brand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, then he decides to switch over to TV acting and it's just like a journeyman actor. So he's in Angel. He's in NCIS. He's in Walker, Texas Ranger, CSI. Did a saber tooth with John Reese Davies. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. I want to go watch that. I'm going to go watch it. He's so movie. funny. I've actually seen that movie. Oh, God. He, All right. Um... No. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> we're not like, going into this. No, no, no. We're not doing this. <laughs> like, nope. I'm going to watch this. And I'm like, oh, no, I've watched that <laughs> sci fi channel original. And you're immediately <laughs> just like, get away with that. Who is this disgusting yeah. person I'm <laughs> podcasting with? It's great, though. He's playing the total, like, uh, 80s teen ski competition movie okay. jerk yeah. in it. Uh, he has short hair and he's just practicing karate moves and being a douche the whole time. On brand. And uh, I think the saber tooth eats. Okay, so, awesome. Yeah, great role. Totally took advantage of yeah. everything he had to so, offer. I mean, like, so, okay, so he's in all of these. He's cast and lost, and he clearly yeah. has uh, all of the charisma. He just totally shines on the show. He's on record as just saying that he, as an actor, had to constantly adjust because he. And the rest of the cast members didn't quite know what to expect from day to day from the script. And they were recasting, recasting people, people all they the time. Were giving a person a role and then being like, oh, no, you're actually playing this. It's it was Yeah. It, Carlton Cuse, again, he's a, one of the, the minds behind Lost, basically said that he thought that Holloway was going to be a movie star. So even just the people around him who were working with him recognized Josh Holloway probably would have been the guy. And he got ambushed by fame, in my opinion. Like, I know everyone wanted him to be Gambit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, he could have been the guy in any number of films. I thought it was amazing when I heard that he had to take himself out of consideration for a Brad Pitt Western film, which you and I probably know was The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That would, yeah, which is a great movie. He would have been great. Incredible movie. movie. Yeah. Um, And so I think he said in 2005 that he really didn't want to carry a film. He just wanted wanted to work with other veteran actors as like part of an ensemble cast. And I think I think it's really just like the lost shooting schedule. Um, and I think that's really what kind of did him in, which is just like he had all of these opportunities and he couldn't take any of them until Lost was finished. And by that time, I don't really know if like the well of opportunities was particularly um, full. I don't, I don't know if there were many options for him. 
yeah. once he was done with Lost. It could have been that he he just played it safe a little too much because he turns down the assassination of Jesse James and he takes a bunch of uh, network procedural mm-hmm. shows that get quickly canceled. You know, I made a joke about it before, but he literally has a show called Intelligence where he had the internet in his yeah. brain. It's like, what? Can <laughs> you imagine Josh Holloway trying to mime <laughs> that I'm opening a new Firefox tab in my brain right now? Because I can't. Nope. He seems like a low-tech guy. If I I'm think that honest, was 13 you know? episodes and then canceled. Um, and then he was in Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And I thought, oh, well, that's going to be the role where he just kind of like takes off and he's in it for like all of 30 seconds and then he dies. Yeah, total like JJ paying a f- favor to another Lost, another actor mm-hmm. from Lost. And it feels like it should be just the opposite. It, it feels like it should be JJ teeing him up for a movie star career and it it yeah. goes nowhere which yeah it's crazy i don't know man it's funny because he really does have all of the movie star qualities in my opinion in this episode he's so good at playing anger he seems angry all the time but then when kate starts reading that letter and he gets really furious he's genuinely scary yeah he can turn that on and it's it's so intense, it's so effective, and it's like you're seeing another side to him. You thought that he was a jerk before, but now you're actually like, I don't know what this guy's capable mm-hmm. of. And then the further reveal of his backstory, which it, it's a little contrived, but at the same time, he plays those moments so well. I mean, when he's just sitting there on the bed looking at Kate, and uh, you realize there's this depth to him. And I think the creators of the show realized that too. They were like, oh, there's a real depth to his performance that we can mine. And moving forward, I think the material for him just keeps getting richer and richer. But yeah, so good at performing anger, and he's also so good at performing pain. Yep. He's so good at acting injured, which is so key <laughs> I, sometimes i think it's the most crucial aspect of any male movie star is just their ability to act like they're in terrible pain and they're gritting their teeth and getting through it well, harrison ford is really good at that he's like the the king he's the best pain actor of all time and surprise surprise he's like one of the most iconic male movie stars of all so time. this episode was directed by was it tucker gates Tucker Gates, who has a long list of IMDb credits of doing just like one or two episodes of various genre shows. He did two really bad episodes of The X-Files, two of like my least favorite ever. He also did an episode of Buffy. He did an episode of Angel. He did CSI Miami. He jumps over to Lost, and I think he does a great fucking job. I think between Lindelof's writing, I think his script is really good, and uh, Larry Fong's photography in this, I think they bring so much to this, and it works. directing just feels of a piece with it. it. It feels like real prestige network TV, not what he had been doing before. And after that, he did more kind of like prestige network stuff. He did a couple big episodes of uh, Kings. Uh, did you watch Kings? Is that the biblical... The retelling of the story of David and King Saul, correct? Yeah, yeah. I do remember seeing a few. Yeah, that was a, it was an interesting show, an interesting concept. It was yeah. a pretty cool show. 
I really liked it, dude. And it, I liked that it was this kind of, it was like a secular, secular take, take on, yeah. on mm-hmm. that story, but also with like sci-fi world yep. building elements. Yep. It was pretty friggin' cool. Very interesting. I think that's most of it. It's like, like we said, the, the story is another manufactured crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, before we had a cave-in, here we have a character suddenly has asthma. And it's like, why couldn't this just be some issue with Charlie's detox right. or something? You know, why has it got to be another character who needs medication? they don't have you know it works because the episode just descends into all of these character dynamics into characters having to torture and fight and it's it's no surprise i love this episode dude it's a testosterone fest that's also <laughs> all about just wanting to kiss evangeline lily oh, that's God. the whole We're episode so thirsty right now <laughs> it's true and he finally gets to and it's great they have that great kiss and then he's like but i don't have it what a bastard he's like two for two like both in the moth and in confidence man because in the episode before he basically told her like oh yeah you didn't hear about how jack got pinned in the caves and he's dead now oh it's so bad and then in this episode he just tricks her into just kissing him and he's uh, yeah, he's, he's a real piece of shit. Yeah, he is not a great guy in these two episodes. But you like watching him. That's the thing. You do want to see he's what he's going to do so next. so charismatic that you enjoy his bad behavior. And I feel like it's one of those cases where we can look at him now and say, is he problematic? And the show mm-hmm. hand waves a bit of that by saying, well, really, he's essentially cosplaying as the guy who ruined his life. So all of the shit that he takes on, all of the pain that he undergoes is all not really even an act of masochism as much as it's an act of revenge against the idea of this guy. It's pretty contrived, though. It's an excuse for bad behavior, and it also lets him off the hook a little bit. But you want to keep watching him. That's the thing. You want to learn more about him, which is what this show needs. This show needs characters where you're like, I know a piece, but I want to know no more so there's two things one i would say that i think it's kind of interesting because josh holloway sort of found a home on the tv show yellowstone which is on the paramount network everybody's mom's favorite show (laughs) of course yeah so i mean it's cool to know that he's landed somewhere and that he is getting steady work which is awesome to transition back towards the episode though there are two things yeah one as much as I like Matthew Fox, and I think he does a good job, yeah. again, I think the show would be better if Jack were not there and then get instead Saeed was sort of like the leader of either the beach crowd or the cave crowd because Naveen Andrews is amazing. So and then good. also, he, this is to be honest, uh, Saeed is probably the most dangerous character on the island. Oh, easily. He is easily, yeah. like, and it's so understated too. He's just so matter of fact about being both a gentleman and a person who might stab you. What a great line. Unfortunately for both of us, we're wrong. Yep. He delivers that so well. Yep. Oh, man. So good. And you love when he goes off on his own. He has his uh, self-imposed exile at the end of the episode. They do a really nice job in both of these episodes of setting up the character that the next episode's flashbacks are going to be about, but layering them in in a way where it's not super obvious that they're next in the pipe. It's, it's I well love it. done. Yeah. So power rankings? Yeah, sure. All right. You want to go first or me? I can go first. All right, go for it. All right. So for power rankings, uh, I'm going to go with effectiveness of torture methods. Oh, boy. I'm going to go at number five with... <laughs> 
stabbing someone in the bicep because this is just a total amateur move. In Saeed's defense, he was caught off guard. He was. Sawyer started some WrestleMania, and then uh, suddenly they were in the dark side of the ring because uh, he gets accidentally stabbed, and uh, he's bleeding out, and that's the end of the torture session. It's a true story of what happened between Saeed and Sawyer. It's behind the scenes. Keep going, some I'm sorry. ECW shit, you know? Yeah. So then... New Jack would be proud. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Keep going. So number four is going to be punching someone because it's a quick, easily reloadable torture device. Just a quick fist to the face. But then, you know, you could uh, aggravate your recently dislocated shoulder as uh, Jack quickly finds out. Yeah. So uh, you never know. Then at number three, hmm... I'm going to go with the bamboo shoots under the fingernails. Oof. Seems incredibly unpleasant. Yeah. It's just one of those where it's yeah. like the mental and the physical combining, you know? Ugh. You hate the idea of it as much as you hate it. Yeah, happening. just move on from this one. It's giving me the yeah. willies. Oof. <laughs> for real, for real. Yeah. So then at number two, I'm going to go with kissing Evangeline Lilly only once. Oh, all right. I like that. <laughs> because I like that. Yeah. In the end, he's bleeding, he's suffered so much, and then he gets just, like, a little bit of super hot open-mouth kissing, and then it's over again. So he's just left in an even more uncomfortable situation, you know? (laughs) Speaking for myself. Oh, no. All right, this is for the kids. All right, move it along. Right, right, right. And then at number one, of course, we're just going to go with self-loathing because clearly mm -hmm. for all of these characters in the end that is how they are most effectively torturing themselves Mm -hmm. from saeed to jack to kate to charlie to even our man sawyer you're right they are putting themselves through a lot of hell because they have all of these unresolved issues there you go i like that well done my man i appreciate that all right so with my power rankings i did either or so this is gonna be a little bit different um so at five we have the healing properties of eucalyptus or the destructive properties of heroin. At four, um, we have Boone offering to be a punching bag for everyone. Boone gets no love. Uh, I don't do no, 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 no. Here's the thing. He gets too much love. Oh, whatever. No, 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 no. So everyone is immediately like, oh my God, they took your sister's asthma medication after he was rifling through Sawyer's stuff. Boone stole the water. I know, like, I know, like two episodes ago. ago. I know, nobody, no one cares. Everyone I know. Trusts him Boone is the worst. Again. Boone he's is the worst. Stealing from people's luggage again, and everyone's like, "Oh, clearly he's in the room." Uh, he's such a little rat. <laughs> and he turns around, and he's got those rosy cheeks and those super long eyelashes. He looks like a male geisha, or maybe like an American boy dog. All right, you know? all right, no, all right. Ridiculous. This is just getting ridiculous. All right, let's move on. Right, okay, yeah. All right. all right, so we said Boone for offering to be everyone's yeah. punching bag and whipping boy, or Locke for bringing N.A. to the island. At, th- was this three? I think this is three? Yeah, okay. At three, we have either Michael for his experience in construction and leadership for eight years, or you have Son and her knowledge of eucalyptus and various herbs found in the wild. You're on notice for that one, Lost Riders. Seriously. I'm going to tell you right now. All right, let's move. Okay, all right. At two. She lives in the city, dude. She lives in the soul. Just stop. Just. How does she know about herbs? (laughs) At two, we have either Saeed and his torture methods. I forgot. She lives in Resident Evil. Okay, all right. Just calm yourself down. Calm yourself down. Yes. All right. (laughs) 
Saeed and his torture methods, or Sawyer and his just complete dickishness. That's really all I've got there for number two. And then at number one, number one, I believe that these are two sides of the same coin here as well. Being a con man or being a rock star. Because both both will bring about a certain amount of self-loathing and also get you laid, no matter who you are. Fucking did it, yep. y'all! There we go. He just interwove that shit. I sure did. Oh, there we go. Wow, creating connections that I don't think even the writers knew were there. <laughs> Let me tell you. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thank Golf you. Golf clap. Yeah. Please clap. Um. Okay. All right. Is it time for name that episode? I think it's got to be. All right? right. I think you're gonna do pretty well on this one. Hell yeah. Not that I'm saying I took it easy on you. I just think you're gonna do pretty well. All right, you ready for this? Uh, building me up. Yeah. Building me up before he tears me down. Oh, yeah. Let's see. We'll see what happens All right. here. Okay. TV director, Daniel Adias, whose mm. oeuvre includes The Sopranos, The Wire, Deadwood, True Blood, also Jeez. helmed this season one episode of Lost, which featured the first Hurley flashback during which audiences witness the gentle giant's string of bad luck after winning the lottery. Ugh. What a great episode, man. Mm-hmm. I love that Hurley was a guy who was supposed to die in the pilot. And at this point, they're like, we can introduce so much richness to his character. We can... He's fucking great. I, I love him. I And I love his scene uh, with Charlie in Confidence Man, where he tells him to fuck off mm-hmm. about uh, having any secret food. It's really great. It's Good really stuff. Great. Uh, yeah, this episode is called Number. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Yeah. Well done. Um, all right, on to the next one. I think you're going to get this one. You know this one already. All right, so during this season three episode of The Wire, police major Mm. Bunny Colvin, played by Robert Wisdom, decides to take matters into his own hands and rounds up drug dealers from various East and West Baltimore gangs and tells them about the free zone where they will be able to sell product without worry of being arrested by the police. Hamster Dam. Ding, ding, yes, come on, Hamster Dam. Hamster Dam. I think that's, that's got to be the number one thing that came out of the wire i mean obviously there's a lot that came out of the wire but just the concept of hamsterdam i'd say it's up there it's like the top five it's like the most iconic big bang, it really you is know? yeah hamsterdam. It's, it's like the mayor for buffy is hamsterdam <laughs> exactly also robert yeah. wisdom i mean what a great actor man why he's i just ugh. saw him in something yeah i can't remember he just popped up for me but uh yeah bunny colvin amazing character yes. such a cool example too of a guy essentially creating a disaster for all of the right reasons like having such good intentions Mm -hmm. and to the end kind of being proud of like taking the swing yep uh it's he's so relatable in that so relatable he's just a death at the end you're just like oh god what has been wrong i know i know yeah love that actor and love that character i love that show man oh that show's pretty that show is great it's one of my favorites (laughs) if not my favorite okay all right third one here we go in this season two episode of the office dwight finds a joint in the parking lot and decides to begin an investigation into said joint's owner after michael skirts a drug screening by asking dwight Dwight for clean urine he promotes dwight to honorary (laughs) (laughs) meanwhile jim and pam play jinx oh man they do what they play jinx they play jinx right jinx buy me a coke you're so cute, jeez. Hmm. Um. I don't know, man. What? Oh. Okay. Oh. This one. Yeah. Jeez. And I look at the Office season two all the time. Mm. But um. What is this title? Two words. 
yeah, two words, mm-hmm. and it's is it in reference to one of these plot yeah. elements? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Damn. Um. So we we already did the Dundies. Yep. It's not Casino Night. Nope. Hmm. It's not the Halloween episode, right? No, no. Which I think is just called Halloween. I f- think so. Possibly, I can't remember. Hmm. Damn. Um. So, oh, oh, right. It's about like the him getting clean urine. Yes. For like a drug mm-hmm, test. Mm-hmm. Is it called like drug test? Oh, so close. I'll give it to you. It's drug testing. I'm going to give it to you. Ah, yeah, you had yeah, it. You had it. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. good, dude. You're three for three. Oh. Nah. Two and a half. Oh, no. Uh, the self-loathing is one. just, oh. I don't count oh, that wow. last Self-loathing oh, yeah. on screen and off. Okay, here we go. All right. So, yeah. Let me just bring it back to the performative madness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. No, no, that was good. That was good. So, yeah, two interesting episodes of Lost. I think one is kind of uneven. The other, I'd say, is pretty solid. And uh, I'm looking forward to what's coming up next. Yeah, it's just so funny to see how we continue to have these batches of episodes where it's like, they might present very similar elements, but you'll see one time the formula really cooks and the other time it's a little wobbly. But uh, yeah, I mean, especially after Confidence Man, it just, mm-hmm. it, it gets you so excited about where the show is headed, what these characters are doing. It's really, it's bringing the dynamics to the fore in a way that also strengthens the mysteries. So uh, yeah, that's what it's all about, yeah. man. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Please remember to follow, rate, and review. Rating us five stars and dropping a review on iTunes. I know it seems like just a little thing, but uh, honestly, it helps people find the show so much. Also, uh, check out our Instagram, at GoatSeasonPod, where uh, we're going to be posting updates. We're going to have questions about the episode. We're going to have some listener interaction going on. So definitely head over there and check out the posts on that. Uh, I also just want to thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork. I want to thank Josh Sullivan for our intro music and Battlequake for our outro. And uh, we'll see you next week with uh, two more episodes of Lord of the Rings. Thank you.